and welcome to the Oddcast, Ireland's musical theatre podcast. My name is Keen O'Dowd and this is the show where we bring you the latest musical theatre news and opinion, not just from the West End and Broadway, but right here at home on the Irish musical theatre circuit. On this episode, we will be joined by a very special guest, current musical director of the UK and Ireland's tour of the Book of Mormon, Colm O'Regan. But before that, let me introduce you to my co-hosts, the imperious... Daniel Ryan and Adam Trundle. Ooh. Oh, I think this is the first week I'm going to have to Google the the I adjective because <laughs> you don't believe it starts with an I, or no, I just have no idea what the word means. <laughs> that's it. I'm doing my own version of Dictionary Corner. Yeah, straight yeah. off the bat, <laughs> and that's a nine. Imperious yeah. kids, look it up. How are we doing? doing how well. how have the first couple of days of newfound liberty having discarded the uh, five kilometer radius in favor of a all county or 20 kilometer whichever is the greater limit i got myself over to nace for the first time the big smoke of nace Nace, yeah i was yeah i was wasting no time at all in uh taking in the sights and sound of kildare's principal town Oh, so it was by what, oh wait i was gonna say by what definition and i was like oh no i'm pretty sure it is a county town so i had to retract by, this, by you know the statutory <laughs> definition but uh <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i was like coming straight in full newbridge being like what are you yeah. saying mate? What? yeah you're outnumbered here. granted that nace doesn't yeah. have sterling attractions like the whitewater shopping center ireland's largest regional shopping center uh Thank but it gets much. by i have it on good authority that it's a nice place to shop <laughs> mm-hmm. been reliably informed by a sign signs are doing great work at the moment um, <laughs> great place to shop <laughs> while we all are benefiting from a bit of greater liberty uh that liberty it doesn't seem is going to extend to the theater world for quite some time i think i was reading during the week that while they're going to be opening up i think cinemas and i theaters are probably going to fall into that broad category they're going to be opening them up, but it's still going to be very much a requirement of social distancing post July 20th or wherever our new truncated phase is. So uh, it doesn't seem to be any great light emerging on the horizon for theatre at the moment. No, Mm -hmm. we won't be booking our uh, tickets to anything anytime soon in the hopes of being able to attend. Although I am looking forward to being able to go to the cinema again. I like there's nothing I want to see. But I, I just can't wait to go and just get and do what I always do, which is buy a tub of pick and mix and then immediately regret not getting popcorn. Oh, oh yeah. Always get the popcorn. terrible decision. Yeah. Yeah. No, I but mean, then I get the popcorn get and I always regret not getting pick and mix. So why not both? You're you're a working man of some means. I mean, I suppose I could just do both. Can I though? No, that's too audacious seems, for me. Seems a bit indulgent, doesn't it? Yeah, I know. Seems so out of character for me. Would I have the temerity to order both? <laughs> Imagine how people behind the counter just like passing out. It's like I'd like this medium tub of sweets and a small popcorn. <gasps> the manager storming in. Yeah. Who is this maverick <laughs> renegade? Pressing the buttons. <laughs> all the shutters come down. <laughs> this does sound like the setup for a, like an off-off Broadway musical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A very, very different. Very edgy. 
You see, the problem with getting pick and mix and popcorn is you'd have to remortgage your house because <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is true. Because the yeah, pick and mix will have like one fudge, which will just destroy the oh, weight yeah. balance. It'll, it'll they be are, like, yeah. They are hefty little fellow. They are hefty. Yeah, yeah the- it's like the cinema ticket is seven quid. And then your pick and mix and popcorn meal is 42 euro. I think yeah. I've been there. Like I've been that soldier. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, the pricing is such that I would have expected the popcorn to be prepared by a Michelin star chef. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. yeah, they're actually actively churning the butter as <laughs> I watch. You said uh, butter for the popcorn is from the Languedoc region of France. Uh, <laughs> and then the problem as well is when you when you have like a drink and a popcorn and then a ticket and then you get up to the guy who's like going to check your ticket. You're like, uh, oh. I don't have enough hands. <laughs> if you just want to reach into my pocket in a non-creepy yeah. way and take my yeah. ticket, it's right there, I swear. Or like have it between your teeth and you're like, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm already on to like at least four of fudge for that stage. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there actually might be nothing sadder in the eyes of the cinema usher but a man so overburdened <laughs> with popcorn and picket mix that he can't furnish him with his ticket. <laughs> or even worse, if you've gone to all that trouble and then you realize you actually forgot to buy a ticket, you were so consumed with buying pick and mix and popcorn. See, this is the joy of the theater interval is that you can do all of your gluttony after you've like got your ticket and sat down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so while we might be very excited about the prospect of going to cinema but arguably more excited about the prospect of eating there (laughs) uh we do have to have a little bit of a chat about what's going on right here on the musical theater scene because we had a a huge reception to our last episode about the aims nominations it was fantastic we got some lovely emails in and messages on social media so i would just like to give a quick shout out to alice and everybody at Tralee musical society and alan and everybody at bally willen who got in touch with the show thank you everybody for doing that it was a great response and who knew people who were into irish musical theater like the ames awards <laughs> i would have never guessed what i for one i'm shocked shocked what? <laughs> my only regret adam is that we we did it in your absence so i kind of feel like we had christmas dinner without you yeah well i mean like it is funny that 90 percent of the emails were where is adam i boycott this podcast until adam comes back <laughs> it's ruined this is like a tricycle with two wheels it doesn't function <laughs> I mean, like, to which i think we all had the response well isn't that just a oh, bicycle I mean but <laughs> no your, yours was clearly the front wheel the yeah. Gliding wheel. yeah gliding. <laughs> without that one it's done it's finished da- dan and i are all propulsion mm-hmm. all revved yep. up with no place to go i need fear guidance given a bat out of hell reference right there yeah exactly That's musical theater kind of kind of yeah yeah so t- tell me tell me adam were you happy with the job we did? How we minded the house while you were away? I mean, look, you guys did a fantastic job of talking about, you know, one tenth of all of the shows that were nominated for Ames Awards. <laughs> you know, I think wow. by only focusing on the shows, you that couldn't have started with a compliment. No, like you had to go right in there. Well, yeah, it's a compliment sandwich. <laughs> you insult somebody, compliment them, and then just hammer them with more insults. That's the way I've always been taught. Oh. I, was I, I don't gonna... think that's the way a compliment sandwich is usually yeah, constituted. I think, yeah, I think that's how it works. So, uh... 
<laughs> so I think, um, like, while obviously the societies with lots and lots of nominations and best overall show nominations deserve huge amounts of plaudits for the work they put in, mm. uh, I think there's also there's more interesting stories um, that might be hidden slightly below the stats that over the next couple of weeks I hope to dig into and reveal on the road to Ames, so to speak. Oh, do I feel a new segment coming on? <laughs> Maybe. You know, in the hopes that we can get the tuxes, get the ball gowns ready to go for the Killarney weekend in uh, the 18th to the 20th of September. Uh, mm. So we might try to build a bit of excitement as we look yeah. forward to that. So kind of the particular story I had today was for Newcastle West Musical Society got their first nomination. They were incorporated in 2009, so I'm sure they're over the moon to have an Ames nomination in the Adjudicator Special Award category. Yeah, Two very That's a great, talented young people fantastic. in their society, Caitlin Davis and Michael Green, were identified as being rising talents, um, for uh, particularly for their singing in their production of Jekyll and Hyde. So huge plaudits to them on a really well-deserved nomination. Yeah, fantastic accomplishment. I mean... The one thing that I have, I do have to say about nominations, and it's it's been a little bit of a a bugbear of mine, is that I think it's two things, right? One, I feel that you have people here who have been nominated for singing, undoubtedly hugely deserving of it, and I think it's probably one of those cases where. We didn't have enough space in our singing category and it was decided, well, as an overflow measure, what we're going to do is we're going to give an adjudicator special award nomination slash spirit of aims to these two fantastically talented people. Whereas the reality of the situation is that if you look at awards across the world, Five is kind of the magic number. For right? nominations. For nominations. Yeah. You look, yeah. gener- generally speaking at the Oscars, generally speaking at the Tonys, the Oliviers, and, and often those award ceremonies are reviewing a smaller number of shows. True. Frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Than an Ames adjudicator would in either the Gilbert or Sullivan section. And they are giving five nominations. And I have often looked at the Ames nominations and I've kind of said, I really think we need to expand that out to five and just give adjudicators the ability to recognize people in the categories that they, or a sufficient number of people in the categories that we should be recognizing them for. Because these guys deserve a place for their singing to be recognized by having an opportunity to go forward for the award for best singer. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've heard lots of people say, you know, I saw so-and-so and I thought they were really deserving of a nomination for uh, if it's comedy or acting or singing. Mm. But I've never heard anyone say, God, I saw so-and-so was nominated and I don't think they really deserved it. I, I think the problem yeah. tends to be more so that there's not enough space within three nominations per category. Yeah to nominate all of the people who are deserving of a nomination. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, I, I mean, if there's if there's one problem that we really don't have in the AIM circuit is lacking a sufficient number of people of talent to give nominations to, to reward them for their performances, it's always the other way around. Absolutely. We always have <laughs> too few spaces 
to recognize the fantastic talent that's there. And I'm not for a second suggesting that we throw open the gates and have 10 nominees for categories. But I think five is sort of a standard across awards for a reason. It works. Mm. Yeah, I think five you know, increases the opportunity for nominations without cheapening it. Because I think, yeah, if yeah, it is 10, I agree. if it is 10 and there are, um, you know, there are like 60 categories or there are 60 shows altogether, like you're essentially mm. picking one person out of you know every six shows whereas five is still a small enough number that it's still you know it's it's still the creme de la creme of the people on the circuit exactly, exactly. or would you or would you look to like i suppose kind of allow up to five i'm just kind of thinking like you know the award ceremony is bloody long enough as it is like you know, right? <laughs> if you're taking more people off the table there's gonna be bloody feck all people left <laughs> sitting at the tables like just like play, <laughs> to play our drinking game or we try and guess like who's gonna win the award like you know it just gets out of hand like you know i don't know about that i mean like i i never i never really understood all that much why we we did gilbert and sullivan awards separately yeah you know like the 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 thing the whole thing about aims is that it's sort of like the two categories get parity parity of esteem like that's the the point of it so you know why not get all of the nominees for the category up on stage at the same time say this is we're recognizing best actress and we have five nominees on one side of the stage and five nominees on the other and we call out the, the two respective winners and the respective runners up from each category. I just think that we probably, if we're struggling to find space to recognize some of the great talent that we need to recognize, I think, I think we do need to look at that. I think we need to look at, you know, are we overly restricting the nominations in those categories and are we getting the most out of Spirit of Ames and Adjudicator Special Award? Yeah, I was about to say that, like, it gives you the added benefit of having the spirit of aims be just for recognizing, you know, very special contributions, whether it's over a lifetime or whether it's in a particular year, you're nominating like yeah. as a spirit of aims award, you're, you're highlighting something truly exceptional that doesn't fit into any other box. Exactly. So, I mean, Fado Fado, the <laughs> spirit of aims and the adjudicator special award were distinct awards. I think as recently as 2000, the split happened. So I'm sure there are plenty of listeners yeah. who won't appreciate the year 2000 being called for no, for no. That was well, super long like, ago. Prior to my involvement in musicals. Okay, but, much better. You know, the Adjudicator Special Award was for onstage performances that didn't really fit into anything in particular. You know, it might have been let's talk about the Buffalo Bills, the barbershop quartet in The Music Man, for example. Yes. You know, where where would you put them if they did a fantastic job of singing a cappella barbershop in a show? You're, there are four of them. You probably can't nominate all four of them for best singer. What do you do with that? So at the moment, groups like those, and there are lots of them across. And lots of shows have little groupings like that. Have, yeah. have groups mm. of performers that do a spectacular job. And they're all vying for three places. And they're also competing with people who are up for Spirit of Aims, which is ultimately, or I suppose traditionally, about taking an inventive approach to something or making a very 
special contribution to a musical society or to an individual production that might be either off stage or on stage. Yeah. And it seems to me really that that those categories should be re-separated. Yeah, I can't see a reason why not to. Mm. Yeah, to allow the space for those maybe groups or unusual performances to be recognized for the adjudicator's special award. And then for those big contributions, those interesting contributions that might be backstage or it might be on a committee or it, it might be in some very unusual regard on stage that they could be recognized separately under spirit of aims Hmm. yeah exactly i think that's how it used to go in the sense that like one was more one was definitely i think one of them i can't remember if it used to be spirit of aims or a duty guy special award but one seemed to kind of nearly be awarded to a society essentially like you know for like the excellent efforts they've made kind of thing and then like that then you'd have your spirit of aims or the other way around that was kind of you know for those special moments so, you know, it, it, it's not a bad idea, you know, I suppose it, it just and particularly, you know, as the standard, I suppose, kind of of, of amateur theater goes up and up, you know, you're going to have, you know, those really special moments far more commonly. Like, you know, you're going to see you're going to go to many shows and see many moments like, wow, I'd oh, love yeah. to recognize this in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not an exercise in trying to cheapen it in some way or or making nominations completely ubiquitous. That's not what it's about, but it's it's about really trying to give better scope to recognize the people who really deserve to be recognized or let's you know maybe take a look at it yeah exactly i mean if it was changed before one direction there's no reason not to change it back i suppose the other Mm. thing from a local perspective while we're talking about aims awards and nominations uh, that we can't really go without saying is that the conversations that are being had i'm sure in whatsapp groups and you know in phone calls around the country but where we would have seen them on the aims facebook group about the issue of race, how racism is portrayed mm. on stage in amateur musical theatre and as well maybe how it impacts uh, the community uh, in a wider sense off of the stage. And in particular, yeah. there have been conversations in the context of, well, should the AIMS adjudication scheme be kind of setting guidelines for societies on on what are and what aren't appropriate ways uh, to treat race? So I think these conversations yeah. are difficult and so they should be encouraged and welcomed. It's a healthy conversation to be having. And, and yeah. I think you'd implore on people to keep having that conversation or if they haven't started it yet, to take this opportunity to start that conversation in their own groups now. Oh, I, I think that's absolutely right. I, I think everybody was shocked and disgusted about what happened in Minneapolis and Minnesota with the killing of George Floyd. And aside from being a hugely tragic event yeah it's been a catalyst for this seismic political movement in the u.s in, in protest at the treatment of the black community there not just by police but by the criminal justice system and and then right across society but outside of the u.s it has also sparked this international wave of protest and debate on how racism affects all countries and affects all communities and I suppose as an Irish musical theatre podcast, we're not as well placed as some to examine the political ramifications of that issue. But what we can do, as you said, Adam, is to encourage people to learn more about it, to read more about it. If you look at the top of any bestseller list right now, you'll find a host of useful, interesting books on the subject of racism and race relations. And you know, take the time to read them. But that debate 
that's happening at the moment, as you said, on the Ames group. I've seen some of it on Twitter. I think I've seen some of it around other musical societies. Obviously, there are certain shows where race is absolutely intrinsic to the story of the show. These are pieces like Ragtime, like Parade. That's just naming two. There are a lot of others. This whole discussion, it's just incredibly important to have about examining how race is treated in those shows, how we're portraying those shows, and if it's and if it's right to produce some of these shows if societies don't have a sufficiently diverse membership to stage those shows authentically. So I think all we can do is just encourage a lot more dialogue and discussion on that because it perhaps hasn't happened enough on, up until now. Yeah, exactly. And now is the time while it's being discussed to take that opportunity and review it and say, well, what is right to stage and how should the staging of, of that be done and how should the casting of that be done? It's challenging, but but it's necessary to have at times difficult conversations because you're doing it for the right reasons. But it's great to see that people are having those conversations. So we definitely encourage that because, you know, I think as a as a community, Irish amateur musical theatre, you know, you, people come from all backgrounds, you know, all ages, etc. So I feel as a yeah. community, you know, we're very well positioned to be having those conversations. And it's so great to see that people are having these conversations and they're willing to talk about these difficult issues. Absolutely. And look, you know, if there's anything that you would like to share with us, your thoughts on that or something that we might need to talk about relating to this, give us a shout. Theodcast at oddtheatre.com is our email or you can get us on Facebook and Instagram at The Oddcast by Odd Theatre. Dan, you've been looking at news from the world of professional musical theatre this week. What has caught your eye? Well, on the professional scene, I mean, spoiler alert, everything's still closed. But <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I know. It's a sh- goddamn outrage. I know. But uh, one thing that did catch my eye over the last couple of weeks, um, theatre producer uh, Sonia Friedman, she mm. wrote an article for the the Telegraph newspaper in the UK. Now, Sonia Friedman, she is a prolific theatre producer. I mean, anything oh, that's been a hit absolutely. on West End and Broadway over the last 10, 15 years, the chances are she had something to do with it. Like we're talking <laughs> Book of Mormon, you know, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, uh, The Inheritance. I think she had wow. like, to do with Mean Girls. Like, I, just, I remember going through the list. It got to a point and it just went on and on and on. I was like, okay, my, my hand is cramping up now writing all of these down. So I'm just going to do a Cliff Notes version. So basically, she's really good at producing shows. But she did uh, an, an article for The Telegraph, um, kind of just, you know, highlighting as a lot of societies now, you know, we're kind of, you know, through the worst of the COVID, you know, crisis and a lot of societies and economies are starting to open up again, you know, that... It's important to kind of remember and to highlight that, you know, for theatres and, you know, theatre companies, not just in the UK and in the West End, but like right across the world, that for them, this kind of bounce back and this this going back to the new normal is going to be much slower and it's going to have far more challenges for them than I think a lot of people would probably, you know, realise at, at mm. first thinking about it. Um, mm. So like, you know, in her article, she was kind of saying that without proper, you know, government supports, obviously this in a UK context, but it can be extended right across the world, you know, without those proper supports in place, 
even after economies are, you know, back open and, and trading again, she was kind of saying, making the point that, you know, you're looking at potentially up to, you know, over a thousand, you know, theater companies, you know, kind of making up about 70 percent of the of the theater companies in the UK could be out of business by the wow. end of the year, um, wow. which is a really, really like stark number. To, you know, to kind of throw out and, and, and the point that she raised, you know, obviously the whole the big thing going forward will be, you know, living with the idea of social distancing and how that can be implemented. Yeah. Like, obviously, you know, shops and restaurants and bars and hairdressers and in every industry, <laughs> you know, airlines, etc. Everyone has to, you know, tackle this. But I suppose like from from a theater producer's point of view, like, you know, to kind of break even on a show, you'd want to be selling about 60 percent of you know the seats in your audience but if you have to employ if you have had to put in like social distancing measures you could be seeing a drop in like your actual capacity of about somewhere between 80 to 90 percent so it it just Mm. it just doesn't add up and like you know kind of following on that you know they already kind of mentioned the article like a good few kind of theaters right around the uk that are already you know kind of going through trouble so like the lyceum in edinburgh has already you know they're kind of they've put themselves into what they're calling hibernation you know and, and the staff have kind of been warned that you know their jobs are at risk you know you've got right down as far as like southampton and southport you know they've gone into i think into liquidation or administration due and that's wow. purely due to covid19 you had places like you know like shakespeare's globe and the national which are huge theaters in the middle of london even saying, you know, without support, they, they could be in trouble as well. So it was just, it, it, for me, it was just really fascinating to read it and just kind those of... those are big names in theatre. I mean, this isn't like, you know, mom and pop operations talking about going exactly. out of business. I mean, these are some of the biggest names of, of theatre premises in the UK. Oh, yeah, huge. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it, it's not, you know, small, small time theatres. Like, these are, these yeah. are the big ones. So and it just goes to show you, it, it's just, it's really... It's something that kind of had crossed my mind before, but it was great to see, like, even at the highest level that, you know, theatres are going to have a really tough time of this, you know, more so than I think, you know, a lot of other places will be able to come back to a reasonably normal level. Like, you'll still be able to go into a shop and buy your clothes and buy, mm-hmm. you know, people are able to buy, like, you know, go to supermarkets and stuff all along. And it, it just shows that they're going to have a real, really tough task on their hands. And it does kind of highlight, obviously, this is from a UK context, but even like, you know, yeah. right here in Ireland, like, you know, places like, you know, most towns would have small theatres, you know, there's very few towns around Ireland and certainly outside of Dublin that would have, you know, large theatres. So if you're looking at theatres that hold no more than 250 people and suddenly you're saying, but you, you can only sell about 10 to 15 percent of those seats, you know, yeah, it, it makes it, it really, it's... really worrying. Yeah, it's it's astounding. I mean, I was reading a piece recently about it was just mentioned the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary and a guy, an actor who's on their board, their own row was saying that that auditorium usually holds about 300 people and they are now looking at a position post July 2020 where they would be playing to 40 or 50 people and a maximum once you put the social distancing in. Wow. And he was saying it's it's simply not viable to put on productions Absolutely. and it's not you know you're, you're you're not going to get your revenue in the door but the figures here in ireland are i think in the uk obviously theater is a much bigger business i think it's about 1.2 1.3 billion per year in revenue that theater brings in in the uk i think it's it's around 3 million a month here so okay. about 36 million so i mean it's 
it's a significantly different market, but it's no less distressing for the people working in it here. We all bemoan the fact that a big part of our lives and, and our biggest hobby and one of our biggest interests is, is kind of put on the shelf, but there are about 13,000 people who rely on theater and cultural events in Ireland for their employment every year. And Mm -hmm. that's huge, you know, like for, for those people, there's not really an end in sight to this yet. And you're going to have, I mean, a lot of places I'm sure like the Pavilion Theater in Dunleary, no different than the Lyceum Theater in Edinburgh are going to be wondering, are we going to be able to reopen? If we do reopen, are we going to be able to survive for very long? How's this revenue hit going to affect us? Hmm. You know, even even just beyond the short term. Yeah. And I know, I think some countries, particularly Germany, has had a reasonably generous public program for reinvesting in the arts and a kind of a bailout for the arts and theatre, in essence. And I, I know it's a time where everybody has ha- has their hands out to Pascal Donoghue going, well, we need support and we need support. But theatre and the arts are such an integral part of this country's identity. When people think of Ireland, I, Dublin is one of the very few UNESCO cities of literature, I think. Mm-hmm. All of the great literary and dramatic work that has been produced on this island is is absolutely intrinsic to our culture we punch way above our weight when it comes to nobel laureates and and um and and writers of note and it seems that of all of the things that you want to protect you want to protect something that is just so crucial to not only the way other people see your country or the things that come to mind when other people think of ireland but but how we think of ourselves. And definitely, I think I love like, like kind of like how Sonia Friedman described in her article, like, you know, the whole kind of theater community, it, it's like an ecosystem. And as she put it, like, sure. as, as, as soon as it's, it's, it's gone, you can't just recreate it like that. You know, I mean, like in the UK, it's something that they've been, it's been building and it's been growing, you know, in the last kind of 70 years, kind of post-war. And it, it's such a unique and special industry and how it's grown and if, it, if that's gone and it, it's the same in any country right across the world like if you lose that i mean it, you can't just you can't just like bring that back <laughs> at the click yeah. of your fingers you know it, it definitely yeah. is something that is lost forever so it, it's just so important so hopefully hopefully all of these you know fantastic theater companies and even in ireland as well all of them will get some kind of support because lord knows mm even in the new normal, we'll still need some sort of relief. I know I will anyway. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, hopefully those up at Leinster House keep that in their minds when determining what's going to happen or how um, support is going to be doled out after this crisis ends. So that takes us to our interview with our special guest that Dan and I recorded on the 23rd of May. 
Our guest on today's show started his musical training at Cork School of Music at CIT, and nine years after his graduation, he is the musical director for the Book of Mormon UK and International Tour due to hit the Board Gosh Energy Theatre this December. In the intervening years, he has served as the musical director of the long-running production of Starlight Express in Bochum, Germany, assistant musical director of Wicked's 2016 International Tour, and musical director of Shrek's recent UK and Ireland Tour, Joining us today from London, it's Colm O'Regan. Colm, how are you? What's life been like in lockdown in London? Oh, it's been grand, hasn't it? I mean, London... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> grand is quite a, It's not the right term, is it? Um, yeah, it's been all right. I mean, everyone's getting a lot of time to work on their work on their DIY and their gardening and everything, but it's a shame that the UK haven't really... Um, don't seem to be managing quite as well as you do back home. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's kind of it's hit a lot of different places, a lot of a lot of different ways. But probably, um, probably most or, or one of the areas of the economy that's been hit most specifically is the theater world, that's, because yeah. you know trying trying to get a couple of hundred people or more into a theater in close proximity probably seems like it's it's one of the last things that's that's going to really reappear on our our radar or reappear as a feature of our lives yeah it doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to be spoken about that much at the moment everyone's just worried about the uh, if the footballers can get by but um, <laughs> um but yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I, yeah i think theater will be one of the the last things to come back which is a, a you know it's a it's a real shame but i suppose leaving that all aside for for now, for a moment, yeah. let's cast ourselves back to, to happier times. <laughs> why don't sure, we? Yeah. <laughs> and I suppose, like you know, how did how did it begin for you? What was your kind of I suppose your earliest musical theatre experience, or even just you know your earliest musical experience? How long has it been a, a part of your life? Um, not as long as I would like to be able to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I think I saw my first professional show probably when I was twenty five or something. Um, nice. I wasn't really brought up with theatre, you know. It's um, and once I once I kind of got into it, that was it. Well, what then? Given that you you say you were a reasonably late convert to the love of theatre, what made you go and decide to pursue musical training? I mean, why go to CSM? Um, I was I was always a musician, really. Um, I was I think my mother taught me piano at a young age, and. Music seemed to make make most sense. So after 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 school, I I went straight to the CSM. Yeah, and I didn't really. And then you kind of end up falling into it. You know, I think a lot of musical directors end up just kind of falling into the gig. You know, through a series of other of other gigs. So you don't set out you don't set out music college to become one. You know, I wouldn't. I mean, some people do, I guess. But no, it just kind of yeah. And why is that? Is that is it just perceived as less? I don't know, entertaining or you don't, you don't get an opportunity to. It's probably Ireland specific, I think. Um, because in the UK, I think it's probably a bit different um, because there are shows, there are professional shows going through every city in the UK um, constantly. So everyone's exposed to it. In in Ireland, it's just the board gosh, isn't it? It's, um, mm. uh, it's the only one kind of hosting touring shows. I mean, there's a few other places, but um, it's not as much, it's not as, as part of the um, the culture in Ireland, is it? Yeah, so there are fewer fewer opportunities yeah. in that space, I suppose, to, to motivate you. And exposure to exposure to the actual the job. I suppose in that in that context, you know, obviously you graduated from CSM, I think by twenty eleven. And I mean, what was the plan then? 
when you graduated? I mean, where did you see, you know, you've, you've come out, you've just got your, your BMOs, you're obviously, you know, talented musician, but like, where do you see the, the career going at that point? At that point, I was doing mostly choral conducting. So I didn't have a five-year plan. Um, <laughs> I still don't. Yeah, no, I didn't have any long-term long-term goals at all at the time. I was just kind of fumbling through, like I think every graduate. Um, yeah. No, so I was I was just working, yeah, taking any gig I could get, basically. And then once yeah, I got my first theater uh, MD job, and that's really when it started when it started changing for me, um, and I started moving away from the the choir setup. And what was that job? That was um oh god it was um joseph i think <laughs> nice yeah everyone's got to do joseph at some point just like a, an amateur production in ireland was it or yeah yeah, yeah. youth youth theater yeah so how long then was it kind of you know were you kind of on the the irish scene before kind of making the move to london was it fairly quickly after you graduated or i think i spent i spent about two years in cork after after graduating and then i was very tempted to move to new york but thought London was a little bit closer and so I thought it was worth it. <laughs> Take me back to that decision to go to London. Yeah. For, you know, you've you've spent, as you said, about two years in Cork. You've you've done a number of of amateur shows or youth shows. You've gotten a bit of a bug for directing and you decide, you know what, I'm gonna really try my hand at doing this professionally in, in a bigger way. And you go over there. I mean, where in God's name do you start? Like, you know, if you did, did you have something going over or was it very much a case of I'm going over, I'm going to get an apartment on spec and I'm going to see what happens to me? Yeah, that was essentially it. I had a, I saw there was a job going, I say job, it was like an internship um, going Mm. at Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. And that was, you know, it's a few hours a week playing for singing lessons for, for actors which was a great, uh, great experience for me. Um, but that was, that was all I kind of moved over with. I didn't know anybody. Yeah, I was, I was starting from scratch over there. Obviously, there's probably not going to be one specific big moment, but for the purposes of condensing things for your memoirs, you know, that big moment where you are, you kind of think there is a shift here, something's changing, that kind of moment of a little bit of a break. Yeah. Because obviously you've gone on to do the kinds of musical directing jobs that a lot of people, a lot of musicians, and a lot of people who are into conducting would love to do. So, I mean, what was the first sense you had that things are kind of really moving in the right direction for you? I think it would probably be, I was asked to come in and play um, for some auditions for a West End show. Right. And even at that point, I thought, oh, okay, you know, something I'm doing is is working and I'm being given a shot to do something. And it was, it was, a, it was a key moment for me, actually, um, because I had just been offered a job back in Ireland, which I bravely turned down the same day I was <laughs> the same day I was doing a show for ten pounds. <laughs> um, okay, that is uh, brave. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I struggled with that decision for 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 quite a while afterwards. But um, but then I can't but, imagine why. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> But um, obviously, obviously, I'm glad I did that. And things started to things started to happen then. And one of the first big jobs that you you took was in Germany. Right. And it was in long running production of Starlight Express in Bochum. How did that come about? You know, was that? Strangely, that was actually an open audition. Right. I say open. You, you submit um, for that. Probably because it's in Germany, they'd advertise their jobs um, differently to the wood uh, here. 
Hmm. But that was an option that I applied for. I went auditions and, and and got it, and that was it. And that's a that's a pretty like that's a pretty long running production of Starlight. Like it, it's been going for quite a while. Like, you know, or something. Yeah, like that, it, it's 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 been on a good while. So in terms of that, like, did you feel surely there had to be some kind of massive pressure? Like surely this is like this is a this is a big deal now. Yeah, it was my first kind of long contract and stepping into a building that was built for the show that was that opened the same week I was yeah. born, basically. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot, a lot of history in the place. Yeah. And I saw there's there's a great photo of the cast and like yourself and and, and the full orchestra getting getting your bow and sort of that. And it 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 did strike me, Colin, that you you seem to be nearly the youngest person. <laughs> there you know yeah. in, terms of, in terms of the orchestra you were you know you you've got a useful face compared to the people around you is, is that was that was that kind of was there any challenges with that you know in terms of being like the md but you know you've got very seasoned you know musicians working with you and um, i have to say it was it, it was a really welcoming really welcoming team um and particularly the band and i mean some of those guys were there on day one which is incredible to think about that they've been playing it for 30 30 years um yeah wow but they were they were very very um welcoming to me it was it was a really nice environment to walk into it sounds, sounds it might sound like a ridiculous question but i'm going to ask it how is your german is it is it a requirement for the job it was definitely better by the end <laughs> <laughs> you, you you came over there with guten tag alone and uh <laughs> yeah 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 well, I had the I had the I had the score. The, you know, because I, I knew a week or two after I arrived, I'd have to start teaching the show in German. Uh, so, wow, <laughs> I, I did my homework. <laughs> Janie, that's pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you th- you think you'd have enough to worry about without having to uh, throw another language in there? No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you had a contract, and that contract ended, and you came back to London. And I suppose the the next big thing was Wicked or the international tour of Wicked. Yeah, that was pretty, it was pretty hectic. I left, I left Germany on the Sunday and started rehearsals for Wicked on the Monday. That was, it was. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, that was a <laughs> stressful time. <laughs> <laughs> and what language did you have to learn for Wicked? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my Irish accent back at all. And like that, you talk about like doing the rehearsals and sort of that. So it like, I suppose, again, because we coming at it from like an, an amateur standpoint, obviously, for amateur productions here in Ireland, like, you know, the MD is in charge of both like the orchestra, but also in terms of like rehearsing with like, you know, with the principals and with the ensemble and the chorus. Is that the same in the professional world? I don't know why in my head I have an idea that, you know, some other some other person would deal with would deal with them. No, it's yeah, it's um, the hierarchy would be on a big show like um, Wicked or Book of Mormon. There is a, a musical supervisor role. So mm. basically uh, on a show that kind of takes in that much money, it's 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 a brand, and they have to make sure that it's the same show. If you go to see it in Australia, you go to see it in Hong Kong. It's the same same show. So the um, the musical supervisor will keep an eye on things in that respect. Then the musical director and the assistant musical director will all be in the rehearsals as well. So between those three roles, you're teaching the the vocals and running the rehearsals. And I mean, that was was that your was Wicked your first tour? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. I think we're still we're still realizing how lucky we were that year. I don't think they'll have another tour like it, you know, because obviously a year in Asia and um, mm. lots of time to explore these places that, you know, you wouldn't get a chance to go to unless you <laughs> really wanted to. That, yeah, that was a very, very different tour to, let's say, a UK Ireland 
tour if you get me and it was didn't it was didn't feel like a didn't feel like a job at any point <laughs> <laughs> just felt like, just felt like a gap year but with a job yeah do you yeah. notice do you notice differences in in audiences in different countries just the way they react or yeah the way they show appreciation or yeah and especially especially bringing a, a really western show over to asia i mean in was it singapore Singapore people were leaving at the interval because they thought, "Oh, cool, she's a witch now." <laughs> to find out, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, no, I'm going home. Of course, said in complaints, like, "What do you mean there was another? <laughs> there was another hour to go." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry, spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> she's, yeah. a, she's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get to the end of Act One, you're like, "Wow, what a satisfying story!" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that is the issue with creating an act, an act one um, finisher like that. Is uh, it's very hard was, to reach. I was again. just about to say, in fairness, defying gravity is that's a good closer. That, that you know, you would yeah, think the show should finish on that note. Yeah, yeah, it is the highlight of the show. So. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of like a an international or even on like a tour of any said, like is it? I suppose like obviously you know your 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 principles and your ensemble etc. But in terms of like for like. An, an orchestra like you know are you meeting new musicians at each stop or are they also on tour with you all as well usually so in the uk you bring the band everywhere with you hmm. abroad different producers will do it different ways and um, on wicked we had some local players join us in every city so like we had the rhythm section was standard and then we'd have some local players come in and and fill out the winds and the uh, the keys and would you get much time to kind of bring these people up to speed or is it kind of an expectation that you know they're rocking they're, you know are they rocking up to the theater on opening night we're like right guys where am i sitting oh god no <laughs> 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 yeah no we had a we, we had a few days to rehearse with the with the new band every time yeah because hmm. it's not a, it's not an easy score i think wicked every every chair has some pretty pretty nasty moments so i don't think any musician would like to to rock up and sight read wicked yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you had a bit of a, a bit of a turn of pace then going to Shrek, which is obviously a w- pretty wildly different show to Wicked in a whole host of ways. The only similarity I can think of is that they're both very green oriented, yeah, <laughs> and, and musically quite different. I mean, is that something that kind of feels important to do stuff that has a good bit of variety to it from project to project that you do, or is there very much a style that that you like sticking with? I mean, yeah, you learn you learn new things on every on every uh, different show you do, and every every show will will have its challenges and its really you know enjoyable moments. And it is important mm-hmm. that it's important for people to experience some variety. Obviously, if you're sat in a in a West End pit and you've got a family and a mortgage, it's a tricky decision to decide to give up your job in order to have a bit of variety. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I guess when you're doing tours, they've always got a, an end date. So you, you're going to have to, you're basically being made redundant as a career choice. <laughs> 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 it's part of the deal, really. But it is yeah. great. Yeah, you, you, it's, it's great to do um, different shows as much as you can. Yeah. And the, the current production that you're involved in is The Book of Mormon, which is beloved by many, definitely one of yeah. the most famous shows of the, the modern era. But uh, a bit of a stopper, obviously, has been put in things because of the coronavirus outbreak. Where were you at the the moment in terms of your production? We were in Birmingham. We just finished week two in Birmingham due to do another two. Right. We so yeah, because uh, Boris Johnson fumbled through his announcement around 5 p.m. on <laughs> Monday 16th, I think. 
and <laughs> and didn't actually say anything. But of course, he said, uh, "Maybe, maybe yeah, the drunk art theaters." Um. <laughs> <laughs> As an afterthought, <laughs> yeah, you go, but don't go. <laughs> Go to work. Don't go to work. <laughs> you know, all the producers then had to speak with each other and say, "Right, <laughs> what are we doing?" Because he's not, yeah, he's not done anything, has he? <laughs> so we got, yeah, we were just, uh, we were about to come on stage for uh, warm up, and it was announced to us then that we weren't doing the show that night, and to wow. pack up basically, yeah. It was what time? What time of the evening was that? Like, where was their audience in the? Was their audience in the room at the time? No, or? thankfully, it was. We, we we pulled it at six o'clock, um, before a half seven show. Right. So right. we, you know, we weren't, you know, we weren't turning audience away at the door, which is, which is something, but very, very sad, really, really sad on stage because everyone's there because they love their job and to be told mm. that you can't do it and God knows when you can do it again. It's a really, really sad moment. Yeah. Well, in, in a different sense, amateur musical society productions here in Ireland stopped going ahead. Some were caught mid production a bit like, a bit like that, but of course, while it's like that in in sort of a superficial sense, it's not like that because while this is for anybody who's involved in amateur musicals, it is a hobby and something that everybody greatly enjoys and loves. But for people involved in that production and many other professional productions across the UK, it's your livelihood yeah. and it's money coming in the door on top of taking away something that you hugely enjoy doing. Yeah, it's a, it's it's overnight the... It wasn't just the shows that vanished. It's like the whole industry vanished because even if you're even if you're in between big contracts, you you know there's drama schools. You know, you, you, mm. musical directors, you go in to, and and do some work in drama schools or rep work, and just none of it existed. You know, the next day, and um, so it was, yeah, it's, it's a frightening thing to think that everything has just gone. And, and you know, where where are things at the moment with the Book of Mormon? Do you have any sense of, of when? you might be able to pick things back up. I know there's an awful lot up in the air at the moment, but are those kinds of discussions happening in the background? There's no there's no official word from the government yet. Mm. So they can't, no one can act really yet. I mean, they're making, yeah. you know, they're, they're planning and they're, you know, they're doing a great job of, of, of kind of planning for every eventuality. And so, that, you know, there is a chance we might um, get back up and running and, um, uh, this year, uh, but we don't. We, no, nobody knows. Yeah. What was kind of the most distinct difference between the amateur shows that you'd worked on and then going to work in professional? I mean, what did you kind of notice straight away were the big, big differences? And um, I guess it's mostly scale and structure. I think you know, there's a mm. very, very definite structure in a in a professional show, which actually makes the whole process a lot easier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah really yeah so after, <laughs> so after shows are just so so hectic and one guy is doing you know the jobs of 12 people and, you know people are shouting i mean yeah it's a much calmer experience actually well i don't doubt that i'm in the wrong show for that i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it allows it allows it is you know it is like a business you know so everyone yeah. has their job everyone has their role and to make sure that I'm doing that as as well as I can. Whereas, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, madness is the best way to describe an amateur production when you have the same person who's mm. counting the money is also selling raffle tickets is also probably a paint in the yeah. set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no raffle interval. That's the other. That's the other difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> was that one of the questions that you had? You're like, guys, when are we doing the raffle? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've got a few bottles of wine at home I can give. Does anybody need these? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody who might who might either harbor dreams of being an MD or is if they're kind of, you know, like like yourself kind of coming through kind of, you know, college and stuff. Is there any anything you'd say to them at this stage? Like, this is this is what I wish I'd known or I wish someone had told me. Yeah. And I think the most important thing is to is to place yourself in that world. And so go to see everything. Go to go to watch, go to watch a lot of theater. And then on top of that, um, most most people in the business would be very helpful because they all remember where you know how they started out and they remember that someone someone else gave them a hand so i'd, I'd recommend just um, reaching out to people it's it's really important um and then you know you can sit in the orchestra pit with the musical director and watch the show from the pit you know like a a touring show and that kind of gets you that that gives you a better experience than than kind of working on it from afar if you if you try and introduce yourself to the to the world uh, to mm. can, basically is there is there any show that you would love to get the chance to conduct, you know, or is is there anything that you would love to have a crack at? Is there, or is there any venue in the world that you're like, I would love to be getting my top hat and tails on for that? Um, I've wanted to do Miss Saigon for a very long time, but um, great show, yeah. But then you always worry about working on the shows you love, right? Because true, well, you, true, you used to love it after five hundred performances. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason you love it is because you haven't had to go through the difficulties with yeah, it. you just get yeah, to sit there and enjoy it that is a fair point well, it's one of my favorite scores you know yeah it's an, it's an incredible show i watched it in the board gosh most recently actually um i think that was about two years ago yeah incredible incredible um but heavy heavy subject matter <laughs> to watch that every night yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah these musicals based on operas they don't yeah, they, they don't, don't take things lightly at all yeah. <laughs> and like that you know have you know because like i say you get to watch the show every night the shows that you've worked on do you still enjoy it every night i know from, from a very a very much smaller level but i remember doing like you know pit singing for shows and stuff and even still like and it'll be only a week long and you still sit there and you still laugh at the same things you still find it hilarious you know what would it still have the same enjoyment for you even after you know several several months of looking at the same thing oh yeah i mean you might start enjoying different things more but yeah, I mean, Book of Mormon obviously is a is a, is a very well written um, book, and yes. But the more the more kind of <laughs> what you end up laughing at more is the audience reaction. So you know, especially if, you know <laughs> if you just turn around and and see what, how people are kind of taking it, or that's that. that of keeps, course, of course, yeah, a vocal audience is is so helpful to 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 everyone in the whole production when you can hear people enjoying themselves especially Book of Mormon. I think for the first couple of months, a lot of backstage crew would stand in the wings and watch the conductor cam because they can see the front row behind me. And they, you, you can always spot the ones that are that have no idea what they're about to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um. The Book of Mormon, is, is it one of those musicals where you'll get the odd person who like that really hasn't, a cl- they've only heard that they should go see it they walk in and it turns out, oh, be the holy Jesus. This is much more irreverent than I thought it would be and, and are a little bit put out by it. Yeah, you get the occasional the occasional walkout. Very few. I mean, it's one of those musicals that actually it's I think it's the most widely 
love to show you know when people come out mm. you rarely have the only reason people might might For sure enjoyed it is if they have you know very very strong views um and can't see the funny side of it <laughs> Colm, thank you very much for joining us here today on the Oddcast. And I can only hope that things improve to allow us to come see you in the board gosh in December with the Book of Mormon. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Fingers crossed. Thanks, Emil. So that brings us on to Restricted Groovement, where oh, we yeah. turn to Adam's much sought after, much vaunted approval. So... <laughs> A month ago, Adam, Dan and I pitched two musical cast recordings to you. Dan pitched the uh, Shakespearean satire, Something Rotten, mm -hmm. while I pitched in the musical adaptation of the 1988 Winona Ryder movie, Heathers. Yes. And it was up to you to decide who of us had better taste yeah better or worse you know whichever way you want to look at it or um, or <laughs> both of us had a or both of us had a lack of taste it depends whether i won or not so that <laughs> yeah i mean i'll start with something rotten um i had i was aware of the, this musical before unlike some of the previous picks that have come out i think like this time around i, I depend all mainstream. of your picks i've made yeah <laughs> <laughs> like this time around they're much more mainstream and much more like you know, lauded musicals. So I, you know, I, I, like I really enjoyed both musicals. Um, Something Rotten has this fantastic, it's a, like a worldy of a musical song called A Musical. And like the concept of it is basically that Nostradamus um, is having a prophecy of the future of the 20th century. And he's describing the form of a musical to these two playwrights who are competing with Shakespeare. And just like there's a video you recommended, Dan, of the Tony Awards performance of that song. And it's mm -hmm. fantastic. It's the so costuming good. of it, the choreography of it is so good. They send up like I think it's 42nd Street and a chorus line like and like so many other just huge musicals. And like even the the like the music itself plays up with these little like motifs from shows or inspired by the motifs from shows and it's so funny it's so good uh other like highlights from that album are like hard to be the bard which we had mm. uh like aiden's fantastic acoustic cover of on the aiden Keen, fantastic um, acoustic cover of it check out so the good. oddcast uh facebook page if you want to see that video it's a great acoustic cover it's so good. And I mean, like, I know from personal experience how hard it is to do an acoustic cover of a musical song. Um, you know, you could even <laughs> say it's really, really hard. Um, <laughs> if I was to quote the bard himself. Um, I, uh, well, song, and you can, and like another... you can take uh, Adam's, Adam's take on a uh, acoustic cover of a musical theater song on the Odd Theater Company's Facebook page from a recent virtual concert. Quite a good effort, yes. I must say, Adam. Quite a good effort. <laughs> good effort implies that i tried really hard and <laughs> i and could see what you were going to succeed but you know <laughs> like you heard what i said <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. By. i will choose to focus on you're only the negative now. aspects you're of that compliment. i won't, I won't yeah. indulge <laughs> <laughs> um but like the other song in something rotten that i think like deserves a shout out is a song called willpower which is like shakespeare being treated like this rock star like to try and convey how popular he was and he's shouting like the first 
half of a line from a sonnet and then the crowd is like chanting it back to him like like (laughs) rock lyrics it's just so cool it's so clever and also very impressed they managed to get you know like the number of syllables of some of those lines into music i think that's like a feat of songwriting to try and because they're not exactly uh they don't roll off the tongue he used big words Mm. that iambic pentameter but all this, I suppose, as a preamble to say that Something Rotten is a very, very worthy runner-up this week, I'm what? afraid, Dan. Yeah! <laughs> what? Um, no, no, I, I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sorry. prevails again. I don't accept, though. What happens if I, what happens if I don't recognize like, this result? I'm not sure. I I think it's a You know bit... what you can do, Dan? You can write a letter of complaint to theoddcast at oddtheater.com. <laughs> Just give me that address one more time there. <laughs> I'm just cast. I'm just gonna specify it goes immediately to junk folder. Oh. Um, yeah. All emails from Daniel Ryan. But like <laughs> the Heathers is is like just fantastic. The music is so good. Um like I was kind of expecting like it's based on the eighties movie but the music itself is not particularly 80s what it is Mm. is is kind of like musical theater rock but it's so good like it's got the synth it's got brass uh, like some of the songs that are just going i'm going to listen to them on repeat i'm sure um is like beautiful which i think is the opening track Uh, there's 17 a song called freeze your brain song called dead girl walking um the guy who plays jd whose name is escaping me currently uh he gives a, such an unbelievable performance just particularly the part of the musical where he's he's giving his plans uh spoiler alert mm. to blow up the school um though <laughs> i'm not what? sure that's how what? a spoiler alert is meant to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think i bought well, yeah you're not you're bit, not meant but... to say spoiler alert and then immediately run into it because <laughs> yeah. like i would literally have to be <laughs> sitting yeah. here with my finger hovering over pause just in case somebody <laughs> said spoiler yeah. alert any, in order any to any actually avoid that one any listener yeah. making a cup of tea like they had no time to prepare for that no chance no no, no. chance whatsoever so we we apologize uh to any of the listeners of the Oddcast <laughs> for spoiling the outcome of a 1988 dark comedy well what we can do is just after i say spoiler alert you edit in a pause it sounds like i forgot how to speak english and <laughs> and that'll give people ample opportunity to 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 decide if they want to spoil the content or not i'm happy i'm happy to leave the spoiler in i'm happy to leave it in, <laughs> in fairness i said plans um so it you know whether the plan is a success or not is is a different story so yeah heathers is fantastic i have actually booked tickets to its performance in october in the board uh, being very optimistic about that i suppose mm. but worst case scenario i'm sure it'll be back at some point in in the in the future and it'll be rescheduled or i will get my money back i hope or i just will lose my money and cry you know equally possible well (laughs) those are all great options Um, (laughs) there's something for everybody in each of them (laughs) that brings us now to this week's face off it does which will not be playing the soundtrack of John Travolta and Nick Cage movie from the late nineties, <laughs> which should be a musical. Might which, I stress, which is a qua- oh, would be a quality fl- is a quality flick, so everybody <laughs> should watch it. But <laughs> it is the cheesiest script. I think I think Nick Cage dresses up as a priest and conducts a choir at one point. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting a little sidetracked. Just a tad. This week, I've decided to kind of drunk on my uh, 
my sense of power from having assumed victory once again. I feel I can do no wrong and therefore <laughs> am almost certainly going to do wrong by pitching in a musical that nobody will have heard of. Not even the the most astute student of Off-Broadway will have heard of, which is <laughs> Fly By Night. So, crickets. Yeah. Tumbleweed. <laughs> Don't give me that. It's going to be another winner. It describes itself as a darkly comic rock fable. Mm. And whenever a show talks about itself in which su- such lofty ambition, you always feel that it's going to come crashing down. But actually, it's a very, very good show. And it, to give you kind of a sense of how long things end up taking to get to Off-Broadway, it started out its workshopping in about 2009 and didn't wind up Off-Broadway till 2014. And that's kind wow. of a fairly normal trajectory for a show to take, which is that it takes a number of years to, uh, to reach the Off-Broadway stage. It's basically a love triangle between this sandwich maker slash aspiring musician called Harold. He's estranged from his father. And he ends up meeting both Daphne, who is a girl who's come to New York looking to make it as a singer, and her sister Miriam. And I'm not going to kind of spoil how any of that plays out because if I tell you too much, it kind of ruins the narrative of the show. I won't do the spoilers, Adam. Yeah, yeah some of us know how spoiler alerts work. <laughs> and, it, and it's refreshing. <laughs> but but it, it's written by Will Connolly, Michael Mitnick, and Kim Rosenstock. They've all contributed to the music, the lyrics, and the book. And it's just a lovely show. Some really nice kind of folksy rock score. The climax of the show is set in in a blackout that happened in November in 1965 mm-hmm. that kind of knocked out the power from most of the, the northeast of the United States at that time. Oh, wow. And it just makes for a very atmospheric ending to the show. But it, it's it's just a beautiful story. It's beautiful music. And I know, Adam, a taste as refined as yours, if you, as you've demonstrated over the past couple of weeks of uh, my wins uh, have will will really you'll you'll take this into your soul and it will become part of you. I, I have confidence in that. I look forward to being infected with your show, um, <laughs> Dan. <laughs> that's that's not the choice word to use at the moment. No, it's not really. <laughs> well, Dan, how can you compete with that? I, I'm uh, eager to hear your pick. Well, quite easily. That sounds boring as fuck. I have this in the bag. <laughs> oh, give, give it a rest. Jesus. This is, this is, this is a slam dunk. Um, I didn't trash your efforts. <laughs> on air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just did it behind my back like a respectable gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was only bribing Adam in the background, running you down. Dang it. But that's what everybody does. Like, like we're not, not going to do it on air. Yeah. I have no tact. Um, I've gone, I've gone pretty big this week. I've gone epic. I've gone, you know, commercially viable, but also like Ian, mine is, was never on Broadway. So I, mine is technically off Broadway as well. So I'm just as cool and hip and alt as you are. So (laughs) winner all around. Uh, my soundtrack of the week is 
The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the musical. Mm-hmm. Oh, Ooh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, children. Let me pull up a seat. Ooh. I'm a school, y'all. So, obviously, like most di- 90s Disney movies that were all made into musicals, and The Hunchback of Notre Dame is no exception to that. So, that is the basis for the musical version of it. Though, I think The Hunchback of Notre Dame, in comparison to like the other like classic 90s Disney movies. Mm. It it doesn't get the same kind of look in. And no. it's it's it, it, I know it's kind of darker and, you know, a bit more grown up. I don't know. It's still a kids movie though. But I yeah, don't know. I mean, it doesn't have the same appeal to, to kids. I mean, yeah. I, like, I've never seen boys and girls dress up as Quasimodo and Esmeralda for for Halloween or yeah. the same well, they as, should. As Anna well, they Elsa, should. Frankly. <laughs> they should, but they don't. But yeah, so that's so that's the basis for uh, this music. Obviously, music and lyrics by Alan Menken and Steven Steven Schwartz, who did the music for the animated film version as well, uh, which came out in 19, 1996, 24 years ago. All these movies, the, the, the first, every time we do something like this and, wow. we, and I look at how long those movies are, I'm like, oh, God. Not again, but um, <laughs> obviously uh, the story, the story of who could think that a Disney movie would be such a consistent reminder of my own mortality. <laughs> <laughs> some people, some people use them for, you know, for like, you know, hope and, you know, a, a moral compass in this world. And then for the rest of us, just like, oh my God, getting old with the passage of time. Again, I'm sure there are plenty <laughs> of listeners who are going, lads, 1996, really? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it was neither yeah. today nor yesterday. Yeah. But um, the, obviously, <laughs> the, the story of the Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, it follows the journey of uh, Quasimodo, uh, who is the bell ringer for the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, and just his journey of being accepted in society. But the musical version of it has a kind of an, I suppose, kind of a, an odd sort of story to it. It, it was turned into a musical in 1999 but it was the first disney musical to premiere outside of america so they actually they the, the world premiere of it was in berlin and they did oh. it they did it in german as well and it ran for about three or four years and it was seen by over 1.4 million people so good a That's good hefty number there's yeah, some good stats Big numbers. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of sat like dormant for a while. They didn't really do much with it. And then kind of around, they picked it up again in 2014, where it did a run in San Diego before transferring to the Paper Mill Theatre in New Jersey. But like I said, it, it never made the transfer to Broadway. Um, and, you know, there doesn't seem to be any plans for that in the future or, or even a West End run or anything like that. But I think what I love about it, it's like it's like most Disney musicals. Obviously, you know, a lot of them are movie musicals. So like they have songs in them. So you'll recognize a lot of the songs from the soundtrack, but they've been given the full musical theater treatment. Like, you know, so they've been bulked out a good bit. There's a lot of harmonies, you know. And what's really lovely about The Hunchback in Notre Dame is that in in both versions, both the versions that were in the US and in Germany, the, there's a full choir on stage and it really just mm. kind of adds to that really like because they, they say that they kind of you know and like the movie is kind of dark enough that they, they say though that the musical is kind of even darker it's more gothic kind of thing so having the full choir does kind of you know lend to that really well and in terms of in terms of like you know the cast for it when i when i was like kind of reading through it because like in general i i'm not gonna let you i wasn't really aware that it had been made into a musical and it was only after we did with the all theater company and we did you know our, our virtual concert and fiona heine 
did a fantastic version of Out There from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And she, oh, did su- she did such a good version. Brilliant. I was like, I really want to hear, brilliant. I really want to hear this song like on the soundtrack. And then I just started listening to the rest of it. And it's just so, so good. But in terms of like a cast for it, you know, none of the names were familiar to me on first reading. It was only when I did a bit more digging. I was like, oh, yeah, you, you've kind of come across them. So Quasimodo is played by a guy called Matthew Arden, who had had good um, kind of success as an actor. But he, in recent years, he's kind of turned his hand to directing. And he, he was the director for the revival of both Spring Awakening a couple of years ago, which they did with on Broadway with Deaf West Theatre. So it, it was a, a, mm. a, a mixture of both deaf actors and, and hearing actors. And, and they did sign language oh, like wow. all the way through the production. And then he also directed the um, revival of Once on This Island, which won the Tony Award for Best Revival a couple of years ago. Kind of out of nowhere, really. It was a real shocker that that one won because it was up against like My Fair Lady and Carousel. And wow. it, it stormed yeah. in out of nowhere to win. So he plays Quasimodo. Kira Renee plays Esmeralda. And she actually was until it closed recently on, on Broadway. She was the uh, she was the current Elsa in Frozen. Oh wow! Um, so that that was her. Obviously, mm. now that show has closed, and then Patrick Page plays Claude in it. But he would be better known if anyone's listened to Hades Town. He plays Hades in Hades Town, so he's got that really the really oh, yeah. low deep voice. Oh, he's got an unreal um, voice. No, 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 it's so good. But yeah, I mean, it's just I mean the music in it is just so good. Obviously, as I oh, mentioned, stop. out there, out there was what got me into it. But then. I mean, God Help the Outcast, which is also in the movie, but it's, it's just sung so beautifully. The opening number, Bells of Notre Dame, like, that's just... I just sit there at the end of it, and I just... like just You get goosebumps that is every time. the like. best opening of any musical <sighs> ever, The oh, Bells of Notre Dame. Praise. I know that's a big, I know that's that's a big, a big claim. That's a big statement. But I genuinely feel that way. That song is so good. And as an opening, it's mm. just spectacular. It is so... There's so there's so much story that they pack into. Yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. Like oh, yeah. Seven minutes of song. Exactly. It's it is exposition central. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but, and and there are like there are some differences between the movie and the musical in terms of the story because mm, they are. Yeah. It, yeah. Like I I mean I, I won't you I think you can find that that Playhouse production online. Oh if you're looking for it and so you know take a watch of it because it's it's just brilliant and i won't won't spoil some of the differences between the movie and that but yeah i think i might be i think i might be in trouble this week oh you're done you're done i mean by the sounds of it you nearly prefer dan's pick as well kian your goose is cooked I yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I like out of the two of them, I'd probably prefer to listen to the Hunchback. <laughs> but I kind of feel like I turned turned up to um, the Indy 500 in a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> you came to play, Dan. You came to play. Mm-hmm. The Volkswagen Beetle could prove to be Herbie fully loaded, so you don't know. You know, it, <laughs> it could prove to be Herbie fully loaded. That exactly. classic. Did not think I would be throwing out Lindsay Lohan movie references on this podcast today but yet here we are <laughs> <laughs> strange times these are strange times we've sort of exhausted a lot of movies on lockdown so I'm not surprised you got as far as Herbie um, okay well <laughs> well on that vehicular note I think we will say goodbye for this week's episode if you'd like to get in touch with us, do feel free to by email at theoddcast at oddtheatre.com or on Facebook or social media at The Oddcast by Odd Theatre. Join us again in two weeks' time for our next episode. But until then, 
Stay safe. Talk to you soon.